Hello everyone, welcome to Word with Dave Clay. There's nothing (laughs) nothing worse than playing games without rules. Uh, Last podcast we spoke of games. Uh, Maybe I'm on a bit of a game kick. But I think it's probably important to uh, keep acknowledging that rules are bad. Uh, Rules probably need to be well thought out, I would think, I would believe. Rules probably have to be implicitly some way, some manner, somehow attached to a intrinsic end in mind that has some logic or sense attached to it. Uh, Rules, for the most part, shouldn't be so detailed that it would be impossible or seemingly so. Impossible to sort it all out, either in a timely manner or with that that uh, every unique situation or circumstance would have a rule to it and we'd all get worn out by them. Rules shouldn't be so general, though, that we don't at least allow for unique situation, circumstance, those dimensions to be taken into account. But definitely you need rules or everybody's going to do what they want at once. And... Maybe you could adaptively kind of adjust that in the moment. I don't know. Um, To whose benefit? Certainly everyone should probably have some individual perspective on that or perspective of an individual nature toward that particular individual's satisfaction. Again, their end in mind, possibly. But you can't do that to the exclusion of everybody else. And what if those conflict? What if mine doesn't match up to yours? And what are we going to do then? Or as within necessity or need, we have to do something if I have a different way of doing it than you. And we just can't seem to move past that. Psychology Today, March or April of 2023. Why men struggle with their emotions. Understanding the push to keep feelings at bay. Asael Romanelli, Ph.D. And Asael Romanelli, Ph.D. is a clinical therapist and the founder of the Potential State Institute for Enriching Relationships. He's also the artistic director of the OR Chozer Playback Theater Ensemble in Jerusalem. Like many men, it's always been hard for me to know what I'm feeling. I would observe my behavior and then try to deduce what's going on inside of me. I believe this difficulty might have played a role in my choice to be a therapist. Clinical training has taught me firsthand how to better recognize, own, and verbalize my feelings. I've met hundreds of men struggling to feel. I've also met hundreds of their partners feeling alone and frustrated by their emotionally unavailable men. In his book, 
I don't want to talk about it. Psychologist Terry Real describes how boys endure the loss of the relational. Being forced to separate from their feelings and their mothers on the way to becoming men. They learn to turn away from their fathers and their own pain toward work, money, success, sex, drugs, and other distractions. They covertly experience depression, which manifests mostly as numbness, boredom, apathy, cynicism, and limited emotional range. Oftentimes, these men already suffer from what is called normative male alexithemia, or alexithemia, defined as a subclinical form of alexithemia found in boys and men reared to conform to traditional masculine, or excuse me, masculine norms that emphasize toughness, teamwork, stoicism, and competition discouraging the expression of vulnerable emotions. It is considered normative to not feel or describe emotions. Normative doesn't mean that it's natural or good. In fact, boys are born just as sensitive as girls are. But through socialization, boys lose permission to feel and become disconnected. When a boy is raised without the tools to identify and communicate his feelings, he initially might still be able to express different kind of emotions. Yet over time, he will end up with a limited ability to express his full emotional range and will slowly become more emotionally anesthetized as he sinks into covert depression. When a man suffers from depression and normative male alexithemia, He is not experiencing all his emotions and therefore experiences the world as hard, dull, and boring. Over time, his partner forms the impression that he is stoic, boring, and uninterested. Feeling unloved and alone, the partners may become bitter and look elsewhere for emotional companionship. Feeling is natural. We're born feeling, but disconnection from feeling is often imposed on boys. Here are some suggestions for those wanting to overcome this disconnect. Feelings make us human. The unique human essence is emotional. If you want to enjoy life to its fullest, you must dare to feel the good, the bad, and the ugly. Expand your emotional range. When you feel sad, feel sad. And when you're depressed, be depressed. The wider range, the more you will live. The key to joy is pain. Open yourself to dark emotions as well as light ones. And finally, joy must be consciously practiced to rewire your brain and inscribe it into your life. If you do this, you'll feel free in your relationships because after all, to love is to feel free. Again, Asel Romanelli, PhD, Why Men Struggle, Understanding the Push to Keep Feelings at Bay, Psychology Today, March, April 2023. If all of us were feeling everything at once, and none of us practiced restraint, I believe it would be easy to say 
there would be at least some dimension, maybe a greater dimension of chaos, or at least the feelings of the sense of chaos. Uh, emotions in and of themselves from a psychological standpoint and psychological counseling standpoint are certainly valid and legitimate. I think the article captures that as important to significant to recognize whether you're male or female, as would then be this binary sort of model. Even in terms of diversity, we could expand that and remove the parameters of male, female, or gender identity, etc., etc. And just say persons, peoples. But I think what unfortunately has begun to happen is, or has happened, not begun, but has happened, is that it has become gender-specific, And with that, it has sort of paralleled the idea that human processing has two essential elements. There's the emotions, which we've clearly discussed, the article discusses, uh, and we've discussed in the podcast today. But then there's also the cognitive, the rational, the more reasoned. And once again, in psychological terms, that's the calming of the emotional storm and the chaos it often brings with it if motions are unrestrained. Now, everyone should feel all of their emotions, and with that, all of their emotions should be considered valid, even those, as the article put it, dark emotions. But in the end, there also has to be a balance of restraint, Elsewise, there would be utter chaos. And as I tried to capture in my brief opening today on the podcast, uh, we're prone to, even in our rationalization and reasoning and logic and learning and (laughs) applied, I guess, logic, we're inclined to come up with different ways to handle a situation, a circumstance. And maybe those are probably where most of the potential for conflict comes in besides just the chaos of the emotions. You can't live in that storm of emotions. And usually emotions are that powerful or strong when there is a primary drive or need that somehow isn't being fulfilled or met in the way that it should be. But the conflict of how to go about resolving that, I think unfortunately has taken on a bit of this binary or gender sort of orientation because there not only are two primary operational systems, but they have to work in concert. In the individual, it means whatever, whenever that recognition of need going unmet or whenever there is a need that goes unmet, possibly in a protracted sort of way, there's not satisfaction or fulfillment, contentment found, the person is inclined to feel threatened and with that fight or flight, reactive sort of thinking, which then then does tend to lean toward more of the emotions. But if you're going to come up with an answer, 
you've got to at least quell that sufficient to apply logic and reasoning. And I'm not saying that men are more logical or more recent. Just as the article is not suggesting that men should be then stereotyped, or anybody should be stereotyped, such that with, again, this more traditional binary model men have kind of come to, of being the ones that have to calm all the storms, the ones that have to put their emotions in a compartment so that they might come up with an answer or a solution. Albeit, although there is obviously a necessity for somebody to come up with a solution, but even then, in coming up with solutions, there can be conflicts in your rationality, your reasoning, your logic, your solution that can create disagreements and in those conflicts, <laughs> disconnects or wars even, uh, disputations, arguments. But I suppose you could then make the case it would be better to argue logic and reason absent too much emotion lest you kill one another. Or passion would drive you to a point of some either self-destruction or harming another, which is the end of fight or flight, harming self along the way. Doesn't work so well. So is it fair that we've kind of put that in a male context? No. Is it wrong? It's not fair. Is it wrong? Then we should question that. No. Either by being that person within the article, identifiably as male. But that leaves the female, though, to be the emotional one. <laughs> and I'm not sure that's any better or any less of a stereotype. And if we're saying basically that men want more emotions and that women don't like men, as again within this binary, or expanded, non-gender specific, anyone to step in and logically and reasonably make it a case of you're being overly emotional right now. You're being way too emotional. We need a solution. We need to solve it. And then proceed in some sort of empirical dimension, <laughs> research journal article sort of dimension, arguing thesis, hypothesis, sorting it out, policy, judgment, statements, absent emotions, or should emotions become part of it, they still need to be kept in check. <laughs> Anybody going to argue that that seems to be, at least in the United States, the present state of politics, governance, rules? We just can't all run around with feelings. And if you start to say, okay, then to stereotype or to project that onto one or another in such the way as to create a binary approach may be adaptive as long as in rules. That's the way we all do it. But if we're going to distribute that more evenly, if we're going to remove the stereotype, if we're going to take the identity 
away the politics of that, away, and say, well, we all need to do that, then somebody needs to tell somebody else how to do that. So it's more evenly distributed. It shouldn't be a male-female thing. It shouldn't be gender. Uh, It may not be political in the sense that you have leaders that then are always telling somebody else how they should behave and then leaving the somebody else to disagree and then resort to because the need's not being met and it's protracted. Some degree of fight or flight reaction. Even with kids, though adults, I think it's still okay with children. Adults still are in the best position to tell their child, who doesn't have a fully developed operational system, probably the emotional operations are there, but this reasoning, logic, rationality isn't quite there yet for them to do that within themselves. But that's what good parenting is about, teaching them how to use imbalance in themselves That same thing we try to accomplish in psychotherapy or psychological terms with individuals, relational couples, who, by the way, that's the author's specialty, families. It's not binary, but both sides, if you want to argue that. The emotional and then the rational reasoned, they are binary, but even they are designed to work in concert with one another. It's just knowing how within the individual to do that properly and not depending on somebody else or believing that it's somebody else's responsibility, patriarchal, (laughs) right even, to come in and straighten it all out. To remind everyone of the rules. To come up with the rules. To govern to such an extent that there's so much detail, so much unique circumstance and situation. I don't disagree with the individual's needs being met as long as that first, foremost. And and not somebody else coming in and just saying, well, too bad, this is how we do it, and it's for the sake of even the greater measure, we do it this way. Everybody deserves a right to be heard felt, and they have a right to their thoughts and opinions. But what I do believe is that you can't then arbitrarily believe that without teaching someone or balancing that out in some sort of a good-for-all rules sort of way, that you can have anything in the way of also resolving the utter chaos of all the emotions or the potential conflict with different ways of doing it. Except you would have the ultimate of rules. Which again gets back to, I always go back here, but it's a good message. I think it's an important one. It's the essential one to all psychotherapy, psychological counseling. If you're going to acknowledge your feelings, if you're going to express your feelings, if everyone has a right to express their feelings, acknowledge their feelings, if expressing your feelings, acknowledging your feelings is all part of working through to a point of then engaging or with engagement of rationality reasoning, coming to an answer, a solution, the emotions let you know there is a requirement, a need, 
And then you have to quell them, once again, enough to be able to apply logic and reasoning. And it's not going to fall to any one individual in a stereotypical manner or group of individuals. It's all going to be left up to the individual. Then we need to teach them, every individual, the highest order of how to process emotionally and psychological terms and rationally and reasonably in psychological terms that at least we can get it to a place where we can acknowledge a need on an emotional level refers to the feelings and then begin to talk it out, to sort it out. To apply thesis hypothesis. why I mentioned scientific journals and empiricism. That's the highest order. That's science. But we're not doing that. We're just saying, oh, it's wrong for you to be the one to come up with all the rules. But it's also wrong if you don't train everyone then in science. Or if you don't allow them to understand they have to do that within themselves. Except they would be children. But there's a lot of adults who never grow up or were never taught that. Maybe there is, once again, a cultural bias. Maybe there's a patriarchal system. Maybe the rules have all been slanted toward, unfortunately, one side or the other. Maybe, again, historically, evolutionarily, in terms of culture and society, as well as the individual over time, human, individual over time, family system, it's always fallen to one, not the other. Possibly it is, though, innately so, genetically encoded. I don't know that for a fact. We seem to be sort of discounting that, if ever, more so now than ever. But whether it is or isn't, and we're going to change it, everybody has to practice science. Everybody has to know the proper balance or ratio of emotions to logic and reasoning. Everyone has to actualize the highest order of human functioning, which is empiricism, to the extent that not only is it empiricism experiential in feeling things, living your life, experience itself, but how to take that input and data, make some sense of it, come up with some sort of a means or way or strategy to address it, and should there be differences then of opinion when it comes to intellectual rational, not to discount the emotions, but to continue to keep the emotions now that we've acknowledged it in proper place so we can sort it out. And not just presume that somebody, because of some identity, <laughs> dimension element, male, female, politics, Presidents, senators, congressmen and women, governors, magistrates, judges, they can't tell you what to do except that they would then themselves be willing to do whatever they do in terms of telling you what to do. Apply science. But if we've thrown science out the window, if we've gotten rid of that, we've got a bigger problem than men not feeling their feelings. And though we're better at feeling our feelings, it seems like we're still trying to figure out 
how we can, in the most eloquent and elegant, or elegant and then eloquent of ways, efficacious of ways, all of us do that individually so that we get along. And that we can then apply science, thesis, hypothesis, hypothetical, deductive, inductive, reasoning, logic, feedback, test your theory, find out what doesn't work so that you'll know more about what works, accept the reject, <laughs> null hypothesis. We need to do that. That, if you're not getting that in psychological counseling terms, then the person who's doing that is offering you opinions. Theirs. And if they're not doing that, though it may be consensus, everybody's opinion, everybody can be wrong if they're not, in a cultural way, either learning, being taught, or applying Science in the way it's purest of forms, in the way that makes it this highest order of construct, (laughs) conception, order, rules. That's the rule. (laughs) You can break it down into the smaller parts. You can study the smaller parts, but you have to have that rule in place or you're going to be sick. Now, Is all psychopathology because of that? No. There's genetics. There's the disease model. Not discounting them, either of those components at all in any way. But even with those, you have to apply the primary rule of science to solve it. Lest in our emotions, and maybe to some extent... What is in genetics, what is in physiological or physiology, what is in disease, maybe there's a bit of remediation and correction, and maybe there's even some prevention. Maybe it's not only secondary and tertiary care. Maybe we can actually, in that medical model of looking at it, treat it in a primary, sort of preventative care sort of dimension. But we've forgotten how to lead with that in our great liberation of everyone to their feelings, it seems. I don't think it's a man issue. I think it is because men obviously should have a right and need to be able to get in touch with their feelings and express them and we should listen and hear them. I don't think it's a woman issue in the sense that women are all emotional and incapable of making those decisions. I just think it's a human issue, a person issue. Non-gender should not be any position of hierarchy, uh, any leadership ascribed or earned, meritus. It should be science, and we all should be subject to that because if we're not... If we're not willing to concede that, then it will be our passion at its very worst, the chaos of that. It may be then with emotion, validation, not discounting anyone's feelings, but it may be then with logic and reasoning. If we don't apply science, we're still at risk Because somebody might, in an intellectual, almost sociopathic, if devoid of too much emotion, 
unrelatable, lack of empathy, we don't get each other's perspectives. We're not relating in such a way that we see it as universally necessary to universally be applied. Somebody's going to run roughshod over somebody else. And in the end, they're going to be wrong. And in the end, we're going to have to correct that. And in the end, there's always casualty. There's always casualty. And people get hurt. And then you've got to talk about reparations. And making up for that that you've done in error. Or maybe sociopathically with intention. And I used to think that you go to school to learn that. And I used to think that was why college educations, as representative of the highest, secondary, graduate, postgraduate educations, were the best because it was a continued refinement of how to think in those terms. All the most important positions of upholding Making the laws in the first place and then upholding the laws as with judges. They needed to be learned persons of science. And that's not the way it is. We've lost our compass. (laughs) We need to reclaim it. Or we're all going to get lost. And our society as we know it is already falling apart. And you do. You, you have to t- disassemble something to reassemble it or anything that you learn requires that something previously learned has to be sort of disassembled so you can adopt the new paradigm. But if you don't have the template right, if you don't have the primary rule right, is how to go about doing it individually and then should then, as with all individuals, it will eventually show itself culturally in a society and not only in terms of nationalities and races, the whole globe. But if you're not doing it based on that, then you're in trouble because we're all going to go down together. We're all in this together, but not in a good way. And then we'll all have to fall apart And then somebody will wake up one day in the right sort of way and say, hey, wait a minute, what about that science thing? Where did we lose that? Show me the research. Let's be empirical. Let's study it. Let's think about it before we just rush out and do it for the sake of trying to make it right. We make it all wrong. But that's really what we do in psychological counseling. We try to encourage individuals to come back or as with foundation if they've never had it to lay that foundation grow up be adult if adult in that stereotypical way means that you not only have emotional operations going but you have higher ordered cognitive rational operations going and that science is the way to take in all of that empiricism emotions as well as thoughts, as facts, filtered through it, to come to the highest order of truth. If you don't do that, we're not going to get any success. You're not going to get better. Maybe genetic, maybe a disease, maybe social learning, maybe a combination of all of those things. Maybe it's through trauma, fight or flight, oppression, 
all of that, abuse, neglect, abandonment, all of those things. But the answer lies in not that, but what you do with that. And science helps us. Evidence-based interventions help us. What we've learned by studying humans and all of those diverse conditions helps us to put the entire package together to come up with a thesis, hypothesis, to make it better. The process includes feedback, reevaluation, modification of the theory if need be, and eventually it's going to get better. I can I have reliability. If I do it in that valid sort of way, then it's going to get better. I can predict. I can even prophesy. It's going to get better. We're going to grow up and we're going to have a better world. But if there's no one to lead us, if no one stands up and says something like this, I don't have enough say. <laughs> Maybe there's a lot of voices that will begin to say what we're saying in, in that sort of resonant fashion. It'll get louder and louder until finally we say, wait a minute, we're doing this all wrong. But if we don't make that correction now, we're just going to keep going deeper into the problems that we're in. There'll be more and more pathology. There'll be more people admitting male and female they've got problems. And with that, there'll be more of a need for people like me. But if people like me are practicing science, if politicians aren't practicing science, if judges aren't practicing science, if they're not teaching science in school, if it's all a matter of opinion, if it's arbitrarily somebody making a decision, we're going to do this or that because it's been this way or that way to me, phenomenologically, maybe it's not been to me. <laughs> maybe it's not been to you. But if they have the power, then we're just going to keep swinging on the pendulum back and forth and back and forth and back and forth until, who knows, maybe at some point, whatever's tethering us breaks. And then we all fall apart and then we all become like animals. And then we'll get a reset in a major sort of way, evolutionary reset. But we may not be at the top of the food chain. We may, may not be adaptive to the extent that we are then put in a position of having this kind of say about what kind of world we have. Can't be arbitrary. We're not all gods. <laughs> and if there is a god, then there must be some central way of looking at things that he, higher power, he, she, whatever they are, might then afford us. But we have to accept it universally. We can't have gods of our own creation and then try to justify that. Hopefully, this helps anyone who might be suffering any sort of psychological problem, difficulty. Hopefully, it helps us culturally. Hopefully, it helps all the men out there come to a better appreciation. Why men struggle with their emotions, understanding the push to keep feelings at bay. Asel Romanelli, PhD, it's all good. <laughs> But we just need to understand. We have to have some way to keep our emotions in check. But it's the individual and it's not gender specific. It's every person needs to be responsible and accountable for being empirically sound. In how they process the world and make decisions. 
And that'll create a universal dimension of communication. We can share that. And we should not have all of this contention. There'll be rhetoric. <laughs> It'd be like scientific journals. It's like all those journal articles that you got to read if you went to college, should you have chosen to go that path. And they were going back and forth. But they're in journals because it had to have some research attached to it. You just couldn't go back and forth with opinion. When you come see me, I'm not just going to give you opinion. I'm going to base it in science. I'm going to encourage this empirical model, the highest order, hypothetical, deductive, inductive reasoning, logic applied. I'm going to point out operational systems, emotions, rationality, reasoning. And should we do that in a family sort of way or a couple sort of way, I'm going to encourage both parts, if multiple, all parts, to practice the same thing. And we'll be then on similar, if not same, foundation and have similar ways of talking about it, similar ways of studying it, and similar ways of finding the most adaptive, the best sort of conclusions. What is good for everyone? What is really truth? <laughs> Too bad our society doesn't seem to be modeling that right now. Maybe we're just going through a, some sort of a stage of growth or development. I could only hope. We could only hope. I also then would want to hope that if you find anything beneficial about the podcast, that you'll come back and join me again for our next edition of Word with Dave Clay. And until then, and you should, if you should, if you should, you should, if you want to reach out to me, I post the email address, the wordhouse at frontier.com. And then also the phone number, 304-523-9673. You can call, you can visit us on our website, thewordhouse.com. But should you not want to go that route with any of it, should you not really even desire to talk to me, but just enjoy listening to the podcast and participating as best you can on your side of it in a conversation about these fantastic, and I think they are, journal articles, and Psychology Today does that. It takes the best in terms of what's out there and might be most relatable and puts it into their edition of Psychology Today, their regular publication, and then we read them here and we pontificate, we think about them. But should you enjoy that, I hope you will also come back. In the meantime, I want to wish you, as always, sincerely, good health. And then whatever it means in today's podcast, it's on today's podcast, it'd be empirically so. All podcasts will come back to that. If it's rooted in science, it'll be the best of mental health or behavioral health. But until we get a chance to meet again, thanks.